see you, Brookside. Yeah, it's great to be together here this morning. Um, I too want to say, if you're a guest here with us, uh, welcome. I know um, I want to just start off with a congratulations. We had about 12 of our younger students uh, get baptized this morning during first hour, and so I know some of them are in the service. Yes, awesome, so cool. We, uh, we thank God for what he's doing in the lives of the next generation, and uh, so yeah, what, what a privilege. I also want to tell you about a way that all of you have been a huge blessing, and you've really made a big impact uh, this week as a church in the lives of people. Um, our care center had its busiest week this week. On Monday alone, we were able uh, to help the parents of, uh, of 30 kids uh, from Castellar School, and so they came and they were so blessed. Every parent was just raving about these incredible volunteers that serve these families so, so well. And, uh, and then I just couldn't help but have this image in my mind of what it was like for these kids, you know, that walked into school a little bit different on Tuesday morning. You know, they had some new clothes on. And then to think that what was also going through their mind was these clothes came from a church, you know. And What's really neat about that, everybody, is this, is that not only are we able to meet the physical needs of people, but when we're able to meet the physical needs of people, it also opens this incredible door for us to be able to help meet the spiritual needs of people. And that not only helps just the families, but it also creates a, really a reputation for us as a church that we want to do everything we can to live for the city, and we want to be a place where people truly find and follow Jesus Christ. One of the cool stories that came out of uh, some of the families that came through uh, this week, there was a gal that came through. Her name is Sarah, and uh, so she's been widowed. She has five kids. Get this. Her story is amazing. She has five kids all the time, and then sometimes she has up to seven kids. She has a 13-year-old biological child, two stepchildren, 18 and 11, and then she has an ongoing foster placement uh, of a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and then uh, two foster kids that are with her about half the time, ages two and five months. And <laughs> you talk about a hero. And for her to be able to come through this, the care center this week and to be blessed and to be honored, and for us to really hold her high and to say, thank you for what you're doing. You're making a difference in the lives of people. There are, there are people that are known in our culture sometimes as the least of these, and, and that's not the case with what you're doing. You're taking those kids, and you're loving them well. And so for her to be honored, um, I just wanted to say to all of you, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're providing, um, because it's making a tangible difference in the lives of people that really leads to us being able to make a spiritual difference uh, in the lives of people. So it's a way to go. Uh, the last thing that I, yeah, you can clap. Yep. It's awesome. So fun. What a privilege. Um, the last thing that I want to mention to you this morning is actually just a request of you. Um, uh, we are four Sundays away from Easter Sunday, and I want to ask you, would you begin to pray about that Sunday, and would you begin to pray specifically for the people that God, uh, would, would, that God puts in your life, your friends and your family, and we have a theme verse for this year uh, you're getting familiar with, and I'm sure it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, now to him who is able to do, I love these two words, immeasurably more, that's the God, I mean, isn't it incredible? That's the God we get to know, the God of immeasurably more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, you're the one. You're the God of immeasurably more. And I want you, church, to begin to ask God, hey, on Easter Sunday, somebody in my life might be open to an invitation to come and to hear about Jesus Christ. 
And you know that if that person could encounter the God of immeasurably more, it would be a game changer for them. And so let's just begin to pray over that. And uh, that Sunday, you'll be hearing more about it. We're going to be doing some things leading up to it because we want to do everything we can to help people find and, and follow uh, Jesus Christ. So, well, as Rob mentioned, today we're in the final part, the third part of our series called Derailed. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the common themes that can knock us off the tracks. And we know this, the premise of this whole series is this, is that when we read through the Gospels, we know that Jesus Christ paints this picture of what it means to to live life in relationship with the Creator that knows us, that died for us, and that longs to live in community with us. And so when he paints that picture, we know that there are things, though, that will derail us, that will create roadblocks for us to be able to experience all that God longs for us to have and to live for his honor and for his glory. And we said this, whenever a train derails, we showed you some pictures with ones like this. Whenever we see a train derailment, and we see them fairly often, actually, it's a tragedy. It's a huge scene. It's big news, and rightly so. And whenever something like this happens, there are questions that come to mind. People ask this question. They say, well, why did it happen? They say, then, what was the cause? And then the final question, the one that's the most important, is this question here. It's, how can it never happen again? How can it never happen again? And so in this series, we've been saying, Lord, what are the things that could derail us? What are the things that could knock us off the tracks? And then we've been saying, Lord, if that's the case, if these are the issues in your wisdom, Help us to be your students, Lord. Would you teach us? Would you help us understand how we cannot be derailed in the things of life that matter the most? And so week number one, we looked at the topic of worry and anxiety. And we went to God's word. We looked at the words of Jesus Christ, the apostle Peter, and the apostle Paul. And we found out that there's a big difference between caring about something and actually carrying something that we were never meant to carry. And so we went to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we realized, okay, when I'm tempted to carry something I was never built to carry, not just to care for it, but to carry it, I've got to cast that on the Lord. Then in week two, we talked about secret sins and we said this, secret sins can derail us in big ways. They're very dangerous because they're so hard on the human soul. And you know this, if you live with a secret sin, it affects every single aspect of your life. You're a different person because of it. And so we looked at Proverbs chapter 7, and we brought to life then some common lies that secret sins tell us. Things like this, it only impacts me, or uh, my secret sin is a secret sin, kind of leave me, like, just leave me alone, it's just my secret, or I deserve this after all, or I can fight this alone, or the lie that bothers me the most, I think the one that's so hard to, to see people sometimes live out is this one, I've gone too far. In other words, I'm off the tracks, I've been derailed, and I'm never going to get back on again because I believe I've gone too far. I'm out of the grace of God. And that one burdens us because we know that that's not true. And so that brings us then to this morning, our third topic. And after leaving the the building on last Sunday, I began to think about the message that we we had planned for this morning, and I began to wonder if God might want to take us actually in a different direction. So I began to pray about that, and that's kind of how we do sermon planning. We just say, Lord, we only have 52 weeks a year, and so, Lord, what are the most important things, the things that would be practical in the lives of your people, that we could go to your word, we could get instruction, and then we could live lives that would leave legacies and honor you and all of that. And so I began to wonder if we had the, you know, the, the right topic or if God was maybe going to take us in a different direction. And so ran that by several different people in our team. And, 
And by Wednesday, we said, okay, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go a different direction. And so I'm really excited um, for where this topic is, is going to take us this morning. We're going to be talking about something that I think in typically in nine out of ten conversations, this usually comes up in some way, shape, or form. And it's one of those topics that if you're not proactive about this one, it will very subtly derail you. And the area of your life that it will derail you in, I think, is one of the most important ones. It's, it's that whole area of how God longs to interact with you, how God longs to live in relationship and community actually with you. And so with that as kind of a setup, would you pray with me? And let's say, Lord, okay, last week of this series, Lord, speak to us, God. Maybe you have a special word for someone today that would be life-changing for them. And so would you pray with me, and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Um, you are so good to us. God, it is an honor to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we now want to say to you, we invite you into this place. And God, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray for that person out there today that just needs a touch from God. I pray for the person out there today that maybe their walk with you has just become stale or stagnant. God, I pray for that person out there that maybe he's going through a hard time today. I pray that you would speak and you would touch them this morning. Lord, we want to honor you, and so we commit this time to you, and we pray, Lord, this prayer of invitation. Lord, would you lead us? Would you speak to us now? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you, let me start with a question this morning. Do you ever feel rushed? You ever feel like you're late or maybe hurried to almost everything? Anybody got that feeling ever? Do you ever have that sense that there's like too much to do in the day and not enough time to do it? Do you ever think this way, that walking intimately with Jesus, sometimes it feels like it gets crowded out, or if you do it, it, it it's sort of like a, just a part of the day that's hurried, and, but yet it's kind of even sometimes overcome by just the noise of the day? Do you ever feel like hearing God's voice or walking in God's grace, is, you would say it's, it's a luxury at best. If you would say that, you are not alone. If you would talk to people in this room, young or old, with or without kids, working or retired, we can all relate to this. We can relate to what it feels like to be in a rush, to be hurried, to even have this overwhelming mindset that I just got to go, I just got to keep going, and our minds are distracted, and there's really no space in our lives for God to, to do anything. One of the guys on our team said this, they said, this is the sneaky one, but this one will really, really derail you. It'll derail you in a subtle way. It's kind of like the frog in the, in the pot, right? Feels nice and warm, right? But you get used to it, and after a while, you know where that leads. It'll kill your soul. If you have no space for God to speak to you and, and to work in your life, it will wreck the most inner part of you. One researcher called it this, hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. I was driving home on Thursday night, and I was beginning to realize that this topic was important for, for us because I got behind this car. It was going so slow on the interstate, so slow, probably the speed limit. And I was, I was, I was bothered. And so I got around this car finally, and I got in front of him, and I looked in the rearview mirror, I looked at my truck in the rearview mirror, and I could just see his kind of arm was hanging out the window, I was just kind of having a little lax drive, and and I literally said this. I'm not making this up. I said, doesn't he have anywhere that he should be hurrying to get to? As if to say, I have a badge of honor and it is hurry. And that's where I'm at. And why isn't he? 
Right about that time, I realized, actually it was another mile away before I realized it, but I realized there's at least one person in this church that this message is for this morning, right? (laughs) I want to leave you with this phrase today. I want this to kind of penetrate our morning. So here it is, space for grace. We're going to unpack this as we go, but I want you to, this to stick in your mind that my prayer for you is actually that you'll think about this actual phrase later today, even on Monday, and you'll begin to ask this question, and we'll talk about exactly what we mean by grace there, but, but the question is this, do I have any space for grace? Do I have any space for the activity of God in my life? Today we're going to go to a passage in Luke chapter 10, and I believe this is a passage that I need to study at least one time a year. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can click there now, go there now. Um, uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in, in verse uh, 38. And I believe this story has some nuggets of gold for us this morning. Nuggets of gold. It says this. It says, as his disciples, as, as Jesus, sorry, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that needed to be made. And so here's what's happening. The Lord is there. He's at the house. And we've got these two sisters. We've got Mary and then we've got Martha. And in the midst of the company and in in the midst of Jesus being there, Mary sits down before the Lord and she's loving it. She's spending time with the Lord. But not so the case with Martha. Martha's thinking about other things. Martha's distracted by all the preparations that needed to be made, and we know this about her. She was very probably type A in personality. I'm wired that way. And she was thinking about what needed to be done next, and she was on to the next thing, and she was frustrated, no doubt, by her sister, yet her sister knew that there was a unique opportunity right before her, and Jesus was there. And I just wonder, I don't know, but I wonder what Jesus even said to Mary. I wonder if Jesus had a word for Mary that Martha missed. And I wonder if there were even things that Martha, being so distracted, I wonder if there were things that Jesus longed to say to Martha, but she missed them because she was so busy. It says this then. It says that she came to him, so Martha comes to the Lord and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I wonder... If when she said that, it felt a little bit weird. I'm talking to the Lord, and I just said to him, you, Lord, tell her to help me. I just told the Lord Jesus Christ what to do. And basically what I said to him was, I have a to-do list, and Lord, I'd now like that to be your to-do list, and you'd engage her. And if you would stop being a part of the problem by talking to her, maybe you could free her up, and my lazy sister could come and help me make some preparations for you, our lovely guest. I mean, think about that. And, you know, as as much as I look at this story, I think to myself, oh, I can see myself in this story. And you wonder, though, was it odd for Martha? Like when she said it, when she spoke those words, she said, tell her to help me. Did that feel weird to her? I want to ask you this important question this morning. Do you have space for grace in your life? And what I mean by this is this. When I say space for grace... I mean, do you have space for God to work in your life? Do you have space? And sometimes that's very formal, right? That's when we open up the scriptures and we're trying to get every single person every single day to take some time and open up God's word because we believe that God longs to speak to us. You know how it is. You open up God's word some days and there's just one word that he had for you. 
Just one thing that he shapes your character and he leads you, or one thing that he reminds you of that he wanted to speak into your lives. So there's formal ways to create space, space for God. But then there's also the informal ways. There's the times where you go through your life and you have to ask yourself this question, do I have space for grace in the conversations, in the car rides, in the decisions? Lord, I want to do the right thing. I want to walk in your will. Lord, we want to honor you with our lives. What do you want us to do? If you have space for grace, you might sense a nudge from God. God might lead you in that way. God is alive and well. Know this, just as Jesus was available to Mary and Martha, and Mary took advantage of it. If you're a Christian, that means you have the Spirit of God alive and well in you, which means this, you have access to Jesus in the exact same way. He is alive and well with us. One writer put it this way. This is a good picture, I think. He said that Satan called a worldwide convention, and in the opening address to his evil allies, he said this, we can't keep Christians from going to church we can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding experience with Christ. If they connect with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them read their Bibles. And let them live out their values. But steal their time so that they do not have time to have an intimate relationship with Christ. This is what I want you to do. Keep them busy with the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Martha's mind was so preoccupied. And so Jesus says this to her. And I know these words would have come not like, Martha, Martha, but like, Martha, Martha. I mean, Heavenly Father here. And if, if you, church, if you begin to see God as your father and you, you're his child, it will change your faith. It will totally change your faith. So he speaks to her, not, I don't think he was angry here, but like, oh, I had something for you. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and you were upset about many things. Your mind, can you relate to that? That's what hurry does, right? Your mind's going a million miles an hour. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. In other words, Martha, if you would just focus on me, all sweeping the floor, cleaning them, all that would have its place. Like, it's not that you would ignore that, but you would focus on it and you would put it in the right category. And that's true for us, too. We can be so busy, so frantic thinkers, off in all these different places, but the Lord says, no, if you just focus on me, you'll realize where these things go. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen to sit at my feet. She has chosen to embrace my presence, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, why are you frantically flying all around the house as if, if you don't do whatever is on your to-do list, the world's going to come to an end when I, Jesus Christ, am right here before you? Why are you flying, flying around so frantic when I'm right right in front of you. On Wednesday morning, Christina called me, which is abnormal, and she said this. She said, hey, I just wanted you to know there's a bird in our house. I was like, a bird in the house? And I, I said, okay. And she said, yeah, it's in the fireplace, and I can see it through the glass doors. And, and I was out of town, and I said, okay, well, just keep the door shut, and we'll, we'll deal with it tonight. And, and anyway, so I got home. I said, how's the, how's the pet bird? You know, and, and uh, she said, I think it's gone. And about an hour later, we heard, you know, so I don't think it's gone. Um, so 
our fireplace also kind of doubles as a wood-burning stove thing too. So uh, in order to get the bird out, you had to take the fire, you had to take it kind of apart because there's like this big metal plate that separates the firebox from the chimney pipe. And so I got in there, got some tools out, and, and sure enough, I dropped that metal plate and whoosh, you know, out comes this bird. Here's a picture of it. It starts flying around our house, creating all sorts of trouble. Now, young guy in the church, Harrison, he helped me out. He told me what this thing was. This is a rusty blackbird, and um, I was so glad it didn't poop on that cabinet. I was really worried about that. And anyway, so Christina has a tennis racket. I've got a broom. Easton comes out of his room with two dart guns, and he's like, it's on, you know? And, uh, and one of them is like, really hurts. And we were like, don't use that one quite yet. Let's give this bird some time. And so we open the front door as wide as possible. Screen door, everything's open. We open the sliding glass door, everything's open. So. All the doors are shut in the house, the interior doors. We're trying to contain this thing, but it's got the whole, it's got a lot of the upstairs. And it's just flying in circles and circles, and then it lands, and then it flies some more after we scurry it a little bit. But here's what I noticed. Every time it would fly by the open front door, it would swoop right up by the door, and then it would sit right on top of the door ledge, and it wouldn't go out. And then it would fly to the kitchen. It would perch here. And then it would go to the living room and perch on the TV. And then it would fly right back the, the sliding glass door. So open, fresh air coming in. And it wouldn't leave the premise. At one point, I walked outside and I said, here, little birdie. Here, little birdie. <laughs> Christina's like, you talk nicer to that than you do our dog, you know. And, but it wouldn't leave. And freedom was right in front of it. Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you are busy and you are upset about many things. But Mary has chosen what is better and what is better is right in front of you, Martha. My presence is in front of you. And I wonder how many times the Lord looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you are frantic and you are worried and you are going all these different directions. But I'm right here in front of you. I'm right there. It doesn't mean, know this, that you don't do things. It doesn't mean that your kids aren't involved in any things. But it means this, in the midst of your activity, there's space for grace. There's not only space for grace, though, there's a desire for it. There's God, you're, you're alive and you're well, and so God, would you speak to me in, 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 in the formal ways? I'll make time for this. And then also, Lord, all throughout my day, would you remind me of this? And then would you direct me? Would you nudge me like the Spirit of God does? One commentator put it like this. Martha did not realize that at a critical time in Jesus' life, he would have preferred her company over her service. Think about that, even as we serve the Lord. And that he regarded her response with him as more important, or her, sorry, and he regarded her presence with him as more important than serving him a meal. A full life, know this, without God's presence, it is a derailed life from the goodness that God our Father offers us. This statement really grabbed me this week. This is powerful. The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Martha, I don't even think she knew what she was missing. But what did God want to speak into her? 
Some of you come here this morning, what does God want to say to you today? What does he want to remind you of? What truth does he want to sow deeply into your hearts? And we have to ask this question, am I running so frantic that I have no space for God's grace? No space. The other passage that I want to take you to today is from 1 Kings chapter 18. You can turn there as well. And in it, what we see is this. We see this powerful example from this prophet. His name is Elijah. Now, if you know anything about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's one of these key prophets in the Old Testament. And Elijah got to see God do some amazing things, like some fireworks kinds of things, some things that you stand back at and you go, wow, God did that. 1 Kings 18, there's actually kind of this showdown between Elijah and these other false prophets, and they build these altars, and if you know the story, as they're kind of going, okay, whose God's the one true God? All of a sudden, the God of the Bible does this. He consumes with fire Elijah's altar, and so it is no doubt a very high, it's a pinnacle moment in his faith and in his ministry, and he's just seen God work and speak in an amazing way. Now, you can imagine his mind is racing. He's going one, from one thing to the next. This is a huge miracle. And in the midst of it all, though, there's this evil queen. Her name is Jezebel. And she doesn't like Elijah because she doesn't like what Elijah's just done with these other false prophets. And so she sends, the queen sends Elijah a message and basically says this, I am, I'm coming for you, buddy. You're next on my list. I'm, I'm, I'm out for your life. And so it throws Elijah into some turmoil and he is, he's fearing his life. He sinks into a really big depression, you could say even. Verse 3, it says this. It says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life, rightly so. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself a day's journey into, went a, a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I mean, that's where he's at so he goes from the pendulum is, is really swinging the other way, this ministry high, to now this place where I just wish I would die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. At the end of my rope, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's overwhelmed. He's in this place of complete, complete despair. He's discouraged. He's ready to throw in the towel. But then we see what happens next, and this is a remedy for you and I. This helps us understand, how do I take a step towards grace? How do I create space for grace in my life? We see that he gets some rest, one. He gets out of the limelight, two. He gets some food, just practical things. And then it says this, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb was the same place that Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so Elijah would have known, okay, God spoke to, to Moses there, and it's likely that he wanted to go there because he wanted to be in the presence of God, and he's, he's fleeing for his life. But we know this, when he gets there, the Lord speaks to him, not in fireworks this time, but the Lord speaks to him in a way that if he had not been listening, he would have missed. If he had not had some space for God's grace, he wouldn't have gotten it. It says this then in verse 11. It says, then a great and powerful, so here's the, the story, the, the, the scene. Elijah's standing there, and he's waiting for God to speak to him. It says, then a powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. He's not in the fireworks this time. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
And that's how God spoke to him. And I wonder if Elijah had not had this time where he retreated, where he kind of hit the time out button, where he got refreshed, where he created some space for grace. I wonder if he wouldn't have heard from God. And I wonder if he had been in that place earlier, if it wouldn't have taken 40 days to have, for him to have heard the gentle whisper of God. And it leads us, though, to this question do you and I have space for God's grace in our lives? Do we have space to hear his nudges? Do we have space to obey them? And here's the thing. When you have space for grace in your lives, life, it changes everything. It changes how you walk in the front door. When I'm in a hurry, I'm short-tempered and quick with the kids. It changes the way that you, you do your marriage. It changes the way that you see the person in the checkout line. It changes everything when you have space for grace, when you're saying, okay, I'm doing a lot. That's okay. That's pro productive. That, that's fine. But am I doing it in light of, okay, God, I'm walking with you. God, you're my leader. That's how I'm going through my life. Do you have space for grace? Ask yourself that throughout the day. David put it this way, and he's basically saying this. This is what it looks like when I have space for grace in my life. He says this in Psalm 16. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. So that's space for grace right there. And with him at my right hand, so what does that do for me? I will not be shaken. So life might throw me some curveballs, but even in the midst of those, I'm not going to be shaken because why? Because I've got room. My eyes are on the, eyes are on the Lord. This is why you can talk to someone who's going through something incredibly hard, and sometimes they'll say something that I think is so odd. They'll say, you know, I... I have a lot of peace in it, though. But you know why they're saying that? They're saying, my eyes are on the Lord, and when I'm there, I know I still need to do all the things Martha was worried about, but I, I know I'm, I won't be shaken. It changes my outlook. It changes everything. And then he says this. He says, you make known to me the path of life, verse, uh, yeah, verse uh, 11. He says, you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So when I have space for grace... You fill me with your joy. So even sometimes people will go through something hard and they'll say, man, I just, I know this is hard, but God's giving me joy. God's allowing me to experience who he is even in the midst of the trial. So you fill me with joy, keywords in your presence. How do you have the presence of God? You have to have space for it. You have to have some margin on the page of your life in order for that to happen. And then I love this. This is Psalm 23. I just want to show you the very first verse. So familiar. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So, and he understood what it meant to be a shepherd. He understood what it meant to have a sheep go astray and to, to take his staff and to bring that sheep back. And he understood, he understood that whole thing. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, it meant a lot, meaning the Lord, you're my leader. Lord, I'm going to stay next to you because you're looking out for me. You know what will cause danger to my life. Lord, you're my shepherd. But when you are my shepherd, so when I have space for, for grace, I lack nothing. And that's why I can go forward. And that's why I can move. And that's why I can keep doing all the things that God wants you and I to do. Because you lack you lack nothing when the Lord is your shepherd. And so do you have space for grace? Because if you do, you, here's what will happen to you. It will affect your soul. It will affect the very core of who you are. That's why we're talking about this one. Because it's so subtle. 
But yet if you are not proactive with your soul, it will derail you from what God has for you. John Ortberg, he told this story in this book that he wrote called Soul Keeping. We read it as a staff a couple of years ago. And I want to read this story to you because I think it paints this picture very well. He says, there once was a town in the Alps that was uh, straddled by the banks of a beautiful stream. And he said the stream was fed uh, by, uh, by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. So try to picture this as I read this. He says the water was uh, clear like crystal. Children, they laughed and they played bes- beside it. And swans and geese, they, they swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout as they swarmed at the bottom of the stream. So it was beautiful. And then it says high in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. And he had been hired so long ago that, that no one could even remember a time when he wasn't there. And he, he traveled uh, from one spring to another in the hills, and he removed branches and leaves and debris and, and anything that would pollute the water. But his work was unseen. When you make space for grace, it's completely unseen. It's, you're the only one that can do it. It says, one year, though, the town council decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervises the old man anyway, and they had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving the money to an unseen stream cleaner had become, in their mind, a luxury that they could not afford. And so the old man left his post, and high in the mountains, the springs went untended, the twigs and the branches and worse, muddied and the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. And for a time, no one in the village noticed. And when you have no space for grace, you don't notice right away. You do over time. But after a while, the water was not the same, and it began to look brackish, and the swans flew uh, to another place to live, and, and the water was no longer had a crisp scent that drew kids to play in it. Some people in the village actually became sick, and they noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream de- depended on the keeper. The city council, they reconvened then, and the money was found, the man was rehired, and yet after another time, The springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, the children played again on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came back, the village came back to life, the life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream, he writes, is your soul, and you are the keeper of it. There is no one that can create space for God's grace in your life. You are the keeper of it. Your pastor can't do it, your spouse can't do it, your friend can't do it, your kids can't do it for you. You are the keeper of your soul. No one can create space for God's grace for you other than yourself. This is how I want to close this morning. Um, I know that for many, we are prone to hurry. We're prone to this thing, that thing, and the next thing, and we just, we just keep going and going and going. And so this morning, I just want to give us an opportunity to say, God, I want space for grace because if you love me enough to die for me, And then you love me enough to call me your child. And then you make it very clear in the scriptures that you long to speak to me and interact with me in the way that a living, loving God would. God, I don't want to miss out on an ounce of that. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you. And so I'm actually, I'm going to ask you, if if you need space for grace right now, why don't you actually just, just kind of a way of saying, I do and I want it. Why don't you just stand up right now? 
and I'm just going to quickly pray over you. And uh, let's just say to God, I want space for grace in my life, right? If you're still sitting, that's fine. Just pray for those around you. So let's pray together right now. Okay, God, we just want to say to you in this moment, we want space for grace. God, we want to interact with you. God, we want to very formally sit down and say, Lord, speak to me in the word every day. Direct my life. Lord, I am lost without you. And then, Lord, informally, would you speak to us in those moments? Would you nudge us? God, and might we be sensitive to that? So, Lord, I pray for those standing. God, would you give them the desire of their heart in this because the desire of their heart in this is so good. Lord, we long for you to speak to us, and we thank you that you do. I pray for the person, too, that's here this morning, and they're saying, I've never stepped into the grace, the forgiveness of God. And might you even cry out to God right now and say, that's the grace that I need for the first time. And so, Lord, we love you, and we will praise you now. We pray in Christ's name.